Here I'm standing with the rain on my face Finding here such unusual grace I'm waiting here Standing where the mercy falls Welcome to the Vineyard Justice Network podcast. The Vineyard Justice Network exists to empower vineyard pastors and leaders to pursue and enact the justice of God's kingdom. VJN focuses on the interconnectivity of freeing slaves, ending poverty, and tending creation. Rob Morgan is the pastor of the Delaware City Vineyard in Ohio. The vision for his church is In the City, for the City. In this podcast, Abby Dunstan interviews Rob to dig into his perspective and experience with racial reconciliation, his theology of hospitality, and how he understands the relationship between structural injustice and building community in Delaware City. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. This is not just true along ethnic and racial lines, but often along socioeconomic lines. Are there strategies you know of that can help us invite the poor into our churches, not just as the poor and needful, but as worshipers and brothers and sisters standing equally before our great and compassionate Lord? Sure. I mean, I think that the challenge of some of the the, the, the very direct commands of, of Scripture um, compel us to think very intentionally about the way we interact with the poor, the way we minister to. Um, our church uh, kind of starts with a filter from Matthew 25. So in Matthew 25, when Jesus speaks of the final judgment of separating the sheep and the goats, he really talks about how will he know who those uh, that kind of called upon his name and were transformed by his grace react and respond to the world around them. And he says, if you feed the hungry and if you give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and minister to the prisoner and care for the sick and welcome the foreigner, um, I'll, I'll see kind of the, the internal life from some of the external works. And so um, that's a really profound filter to think about the development of ministry and how you might you know, kind of orient your resources as a church. Um, another passage that, that we have embraced uh, from Isaiah 58, um, when kind of the Israelites are saying, God, we do all this stuff. We pray and we fast and we gather for worship, but we don't see you among us. We don't experience you the way we think we ought. And God kind of rebukes them and says, if you would spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, and if you would uh, take up the yoke of the oppressed, if you would sort of orient yourself um, from a transformed life towards the poor, towards the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those who are farthest from the sources of power and from the resources of the community, if you'll orient yourself towards them, uh, then you'll see me in a way that you've never seen me before. And so for us as a church, uh, one of the primary ways we think about ministry and ministry development is how does this lead us to engage with those who are on the fringes of society, whether it be socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, even within age and within the power structures of our community? Okay. So in rec some recent conversations that um, 
those in VJN have had with black pastors, so much of the conversation on racial reconciliation in the church tends towards how we are doing discipleship. According to news reports over the last 20 plus months, some of the police, both black and white, that have been involved in acts of violence in places like Ferguson and Baltimore are churchgoers, especially in the case of Baltimore, both Freddie Gray and several of the police indicted in his death are churchgoers. There seems to be some sort of disconnect in how our public discipleship gets enacted and lived. Have you seen this issue as well? And what can churches do in terms of discipleship, poverty, and public discipleship? Um, I mean, I think that that issues of um, kind of bridge building and issues of racial reconciliation um, kind of boil down to an appreciation of some biblical concepts of hospitality. So the, the biblical word, the Greek word for hospitality is phileozenia which is brotherly love of a stranger. And so essentially what, what the scriptures call us to do is to treat those who are far from us in the very same way we would treat those who are nearest to us. So our family, our friends, the way we respond with grace and hospitality and welcome uh, has to be intentionally extended to people who are nothing like us. And, and so uh, while, while I can appreciate a lot of programmatic uh, intentionality, there has to be an individualized intentionality to seek out relationships that are challenging, um, at the same time to address and be okay addressing very systemic uh, infrastructure issues within a community. So for example, our community has a south side of the tracks dynamic that it predates me, it predates our church, but it would go back to lending practices uh, in the 50s and 60s, Uh, it would go back to some Jim Crow dynamics, it would go back to the structure of a community and if we don't acknowledge that there's a south side of the tracks racial dynamic in our community, then we are doing our, our church a disservice um, and then be intentional about being beyond that border. Um, similarly, there's an east side of the river dynamic, which is a different sort of poverty and a different demographic. But if you look back even into kind of the early settler days, certain portions of the affluent community lived north in the river and others, uh, poorer communities, lived south on the, along the river because waste transported through the river. Yeah. And so those are things that are structural in a way that I think you have to use your pulpit and the authority and the influence to draw attention to with regularity. And then to call people to really evaluate, are they ever doing life on the south side of a city? Are they ever doing life on the east side of a city? If not, why not? If so, how and why and to what value and on whose behalf. So what are some um, ways you might uh, recommend for churches to seeking to engage? You've talked a little bit about that, but what are some practical applications as, as someone inspired to speak truth to power and instructed to speak truth in love? Yeah, I mean, I think from, a, from, a, uh, from an individual standpoint, as senior pastors, as senior leaders, it's finding and making space for intentional relationships. It's finding um, uh, like-hearted folks who might look and sound and act and lead in very different contexts uh, for friendship, for relationship, for camaraderie, to hear and ask questions from a place of humility, um, to not be scared of phrases like white privilege, to not be scared of acknowledging systemic injustices as it relates to incarceration practices or business practices. And, and to do that as a senior leader um, and to model not just for the sake of modeling, but because reconciliation is actually a hard issue. Um, 
And so to find friendship, to find uh, camaraderie and companionship, um, and then to be intentional in the way that we spend our resources. I think the Isaiah 58 passage where God says, spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. Essentially, he's challenging people to think about all the ways you give yourself away and who are you doing that for and who are you doing it to. And so if we want to spend ourselves on behalf of reconciliation, we have to spend ourselves on behalf of people who look and, 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 and think differently, uh, who come at life with a very different worldview uh, that might still be very much rooted in the biblical narrative, but be framed very differently from our experiences um, as, as maybe a majority culture. Yeah. So uh, if we're, to, to be completely honest, the vineyard is very white suburban mm-hmm. middle class. How can those who are in that demographic mm-hmm. kind of get a better understanding of the experience of being poor and marginalized, like through books, documentaries, movies, uh, podcasts, any of those things? Uh, are there any specific ones that you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some some, uh, some books that certainly should be read. Uh, Divided by Faith is one that I think is um, a, a beautiful portrayal of how uh, our cultural biases influence the way we think about biblical narrative and biblical priorities, and so how the story of the African-American church is influenced by hundreds of years of injustice is different than how the white church and its practices see the same biblical story. Um, I think that uh, reading and listening to uh, podcasts, listening to music, I think people like Tavis Smiley and Cornell West are provocative voices um, that are contemporary, that are echoing some of the things of the civil rights movement, that echo some of the things from, um, you know, some of the days of, of, of slavery and emancipation that call us to think, is, are the issues done? Um, and I think blame placing is dangerous. I think when we look at some of the newscasts of how different events have been portrayed of recent, uh, it's really dangerous to find if it's a voice like me telling me what I should think about something, mm-hmm. um, I should be suspect and I should be weary of it being a full picture of the truth. Yeah, totally. So going off what you were talking about, um, uh, history, um, so often in the past, church culture has been weighted with preferences towards structures and tradition where like produces like. Vineyard churches, for example, have historically been mostly affluent people and white and all of those things. Um, Yet with an increasing emphasis on diversity along socioeconomic lines, not just racial and ethnic, what can be done to transform outcomes such as like producing like? Do you believe people experiencing both affluence and poverty can join together in Christian community? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the, the things I love about our church community, and I had the opportunity to have lunch um, within kind of the last year, and it was with three police officers who attend our church and a recent released uh, convict. Oh, wow. And the four of the five of us gathered for lunch after church on a Sunday. That was a really powerful experience for everybody because nothing gathers people to the table except for Jesus. Those those lines don't get blurred and don't get crossed. Um, we have uh, in our congregation high school dropouts, and we have uh, college professors who teach New Testament theology at the local university. Um, they not only share the, the, the space on Sundays, but they're also in small groups together. Um, those who actually utilize our pantry, we have volunteers who serve as well as who utilize the pantry. We have church members who uh, attend as well as
individuals utilize our, uh, the opportunity to, to receive some benefit from the food pantry. So I, I think that the, the goal is to increase human dignity in all the ways that we're providing maybe benevolent services and not not perpetuate an us-them, yeah. where rich white people serve poor, underprivileged people, but rather where um, out of what we have, we share with our brothers and sisters and communicate and treat um, anyone who would walk through the doors without that sense of humanity. So do you think that's a, more of a structural um, problem, like the things listed, or do you feel like it's um, just a widespread problem in general? Like how, how do you as a pastor combat that besides sitting down at the table like how what do you do exactly um i, I mean i think part of it is speaking to it constantly of, okay. of correcting it when necessary uh, when people say i'm not called to the poor when people say i'm not called to prison ministry understanding that we have language of calling and gifting that has to sort of fit the ability for those things to happen but at the same time to really be okay with poking at how are you not called to the poor how are you not called to minister to the least and the lost how are you not called to open up your home and your heart, as well as the church facility, towards those who are maybe on the outskirts, maybe the most challenging, and maybe people that you would traditionally find in out of a, a, a stereotype, a sense of fear about. Um, I think it isn't. It, it's sad that phileozenia is the same root as xenophobia. So, love of, of the stranger. Culture where we have fear of the stranger, and so that stranger isn't just a refugee from the Middle East. That stranger is somebody who I just don't know and I'm not comfortable taking initiative to meet. So I think a lot of it is, is speaking to, but I think it's building internally some structures that force people to have intersection with with people who are, are highly unlike them. Um, whether that's through uh, intentional traumatic development, uh, whether that's joining people. Process, sharing space, um, making your, your you know churches often look at their property as theirs. Yeah, and it's, and this isn't ours. This is something that we've been asked to steward. And so when we open up our doors to um, the area career center for GED classes, uh, that for us is phileozenia when we do our ministry to the poor, when we go to the prisons, for us that is all the same demonstration of a Christian act of hospitality that reflects the wide open arms of Christ on the cross. And so that for us is, is, is the way that we try to intentionally build program and, and structure and structure pathways um, to really call people into thinking differently about how they engage the community. So how do you intentionally go about creating these structures that you have within your church, such as your food pantry or engaging with the GED program, how do you make informed decisions using the Holy Spirit and God's Word and everything? Sure. I think for us, what we've tried to ask are, are two primary filters. One, um, starting with the scripture, is that I just think God is planted in our church, um, specifically Matthew 25 and Isaiah 58, as the the first filters for thinking about ministry. Does it align with the way that our interactions display transform lives? And not to become a works-based experience, but to say out of a, a heart that's been changed, who do we care for the most? And how does our budget reflect that? Um, we have identified that our external ministry budget is uh, our biggest line item is to the poor. Our internal ministry 
And so we've decided that those who have no power and no voice are the ones who get the most money. And so more than our worship community, more than our small groups, kids get money in the church. And more than missions, the poor get money directed outside of the church. And so that, to me, is, is the way that we reinforce the Matthew 25 filter and the Isaiah 58 filter. And then we look at it from three levels of resourcing, sorry, relief, resourcing, reform. That all of our ministries have to fit one of those three dynamics, but not just one of those. They have to feed into all three. Relief is feeding someone who's hungry just because they're hungry. Resourcing is what educational, uh, what opportunities can be provided, job training or skills learning, um, that can improve a situation to end cycles of poverty. And then reform is looking at the systemic dynamics within a community and, and, and to call change uh, out of the power structures when, when it's our, our space and our time. Okay, so you listed kids as kind of a justice issue. Why did you do that? Um, well, I think kids tend to be uh, voiceless in culture. And so if there is someone who has no voice, then we speak up on their behalf. That would certainly include the unborn, it would certainly include uh, those who are infants and toddlers, but, but really it, our, our culture has set it up to where at 18 you become a contributing member. You become uh, worthwhile. You become worthwhile. And we think our kids have everything to offer because of who they are, not what they do. And so it does become a justice issue for us that they receive uh, the resources of our community because they don't have the resources in their own wherewithal to contribute in a way that gets their voice heard wonderful. Were you, you, you were able to go to the uh, global conference, correct? Yes. Um, so for you yourself following the response of the global conference to the spirit stirring us towards issues of justice and reconciliation, what do you hope to see in the future in the vineyard emerge with regard to the justice of the kingdom and ending poverty? What is your vi- What would you absolutely love to see in like the next 10 years? I, you know, I think that one of the things that local term. Our desire is to, to really see transformed uh, lives and transformed communities here. Uh, the, the tagline for our church is that we exist in the city for the city. And so our community is the, the, the parish, the territory that God has given us responsibility to steward and care for. So in the short term, that our ministries as part of the Vineyard Movement would be um, locally impacting, not just to build up this church structure and its facilities and grow, but rather to see a city transformation happen, to see systemic dynamics brought under kingdom governance, um, to see things that have been historically wrong, resolved and righted, um, and and to participate with with kind of the, the, the global initiatives of racial reconciliation, to participate with and appreciate and diversity has to be something that we reflect here and now because it is where we are headed. Revelations 5 and 7 speak to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so for us in a smaller Midwest community that does have a Spanish-speaking population, we do Spanish translation services and bilingual worship. 97% of our congregation is, is, is English-speaking as their only language. Um, it challenges people to think about, is the Bible an English book or is the Bible a kingdom book? And how does that work in, in, in poking at people's bubbles in a way that
so much. I am really excited.